0: So tonight, I wanted to say a few words about service. Service is, I think, a very important part of our practice, of just about every spiritual practice, every wisdom tradition that I know of. Earlier this month, when Diana Lyon was here from Buddhist Peace Fellowship, she quoted the Dalai Lama as saying, Dharma is service. And that really stuck with me because that's how I see it. That's certainly how it has become for me in my practice, that the Dharma is really service. Or we could say the Dharma as service. Perhaps the most um, beloved or the most well-known Example of service in our modern times is Mother Teresa in India, out of the Christian tradition. And she talked about serving the poorest of the poor. She tended to the lepers, she tended to the untouchables, those in on the streets of Calcutta that nobody else would touch. But she said she saw them as Christ in his many distressing disguises. And I remember reading her autobiography and learning that when she received the Nobel Peace Prize, she refused to go to the big dinner in Oslo and said, please instead use that money to feed the poor. Her life truly was one of service. And she said something quite important, I think. She said, we cannot do great things. We can only do small things with great love. And I think that's so appropriate as we speak about service. Service does not have to be some big thing that we do. In fact, I'm quite sure that all of us perform acts of service all the time. And we may not think about it. We may not think of that as service. But if you look back over your day, I'll bet you'll find many, several anyway, times that you acted in service. Service to a friend, service to a co service to the planet, service to life, service to the Dharma. In some way, there's been an act of service. And I say that because I think it's important for us to recognize the service that we already are performing and to acknowledge that. And then we may want to expand, we may want to increase, but we start from the recognition that we already are performing acts of service. They may be very small, they may be quite large, but they're there. And to see that, to recognize that, to acknowledge that. So we can say, what is service? Of course I thought I knew until I started talking about or thinking about doing this talk and I realized that it's not necessarily that easy to define. Basically though, I came to see that service is really an attitude, an intention, we say in this practice, a spirit. It's the way we do something more than what it is particularly that we do. So, any act I think can be seen as an act of service, depending on what our intention is. The same act could be service or not, be quite selfish. Again, depending on what our attitude or what the spirit is that we bring. So it occurs to me then that we could make every act an act of service. If we bring that attitude, that uh, intention, that spirit, then anything we do can be an act of service. Charlotte Joko Beck, who is a great Zen teacher and wrote Everyday Zen, says, It's not by anything we think, not by something we figure out in our heads, We're transformed by what we do. So our acts of service can be transforming. I might suggest that any time we do something for the benefit of someone else, that's an act of service we might perform acts of service for ourselves. Any time we do something that is in our best interest and promotes our growth could be considered an act of service. A piece of service can be giving up our own needs or wants or desires for the benefit of somebody else. And that can be a slippery slope. So I think it's something to pay attention to. If we mindfully choose to give up what we might want to do for the benefit of somebody else, that can be very high service. However, if we're not in touch with our needs or our desires, if we're not consciously choosing to benefit someone else and give up what we want, then we might be acting out of codependence. That is, we might be acting unconsciously for some less than clear intentions. Sometimes we may be what we think is serving, but really it's an escape. Or it might be a way of getting love, or approval, or acceptance or it might be a way of denying ourselves, of not, of not really paying attention to our own needs and desires. And when we act out of, say, codependence, that's probably not so healthy, and may not, in fact, be of so much value to the other person. So mindfulness of our intent Mindfulness of why we're doing what we're doing, why we're choosing to do what we do, I think keeps it cleaner. Using our wisdom, our discriminating wisdom, can be an important part of service. Although, in some ways, serving is just doing for the doing, for the sheer um, pleasure, value of whatever it is we do without all the rational rationalizations, all the thinking, all the um, scrutinizing. Is this going to be most helpful? Is this the most beneficial thing to do at this moment? What is this person going to do with this? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes certain considerations are important and we're using discriminating wisdom to think about those things. Other times, just the pure act of service, just the pure act of giving, generosity I think is very, very close to service and many times probably the same thing. So not necessarily being attached to the results of our service, but serving where we see the need. In Buddhist practice we talk about compassion and we define compassion as that quivering of the heart, that quivering that makes us want to alleviate suffering, that the desire to alleviate suffering automatically arises. It's just there. And we act to alleviate that suffering, without regard to many of the considerations that we might otherwise have. In Buddhist practice, the bodhisattva ideal is perhaps the ideal of service. The bodhisattva being the one who delays his or her enlightenment until all beings become enlightened at the same time. We might say the the Buddha of compassion. In the yogic tradition, or the Hindu uh, tradition, karma yoga is the yoga of service. And probably most of you are familiar with Ram Dass, uh, Richard Alpert, who is probably, for me, personifies um, service. Although he was actually um, a very... Bhakti person, a very devoted uh, very devoted to his guru he also embodied service and continues to actually in his um, post-stroke condition continues to serve and karma yoga the yoga of service is considered one of the paths to enlightenment So again, thinking about what is service, what are acts of service? Sometimes they might be being quite involved, doing quite a lot. Other times it might be actually not doing anything. Sometimes not acting is the best service. They might be washing the feet of someone, anyone, and might be not doing that. Certainly it involves deep listening, really listening. So we know what is being called for, what is needed, what is being asked for at this moment. Doing or giving to someone what they want or need, rather than what we think they should want or need, is one of the greatest acts of service, and perhaps one of the most difficult. I'm sure we've all had the experience of both of giving and being given to in a way that wasn't satisfying, wasn't what we wanted. So really paying attention and being willing to do or to give to someone what they want rather than what we want is a deep act of service something that I learned a while back that's been so helpful to me is to recognize that it is never enough. Whatever we do is never enough. Somehow when I really got that, it was very free. Because if it's never enough, and it isn't, obviously, <laughs> obviously it's never enough, then we don't have to push so much. There's no particular amount we have to do. We just do. And we already know that it's not going to be enough. But that doesn't stop us. We do whatever it is we do. So maybe that's useful for some of you. Ram Dass, um several years ago with Paul Gorman wrote this book, How Can I Help? And he talks very much about that, about serving in the way that is most, let's see, how do I want to say it, that is what someone else really needs or wants rather than imposing what we think they should have. And he says, it's important for us to be aware of who we think we are, because who we think we are will affect what we do and how we do it. If we think that we are these separate individual human beings that are going to minister to separate, individual human beings. That's going to affect our relationship. And it's going to affect our attitude and how we do what we do. If we think we're the teacher, I'm the teacher and you're the student or I'm the therapist and you're the client that creates a hierarchy, it creates a difference, and our service will reflect that. And there are many, many roles, of course, that we can be very attached to. But if we recognize that they're just roles, and that right now I'm sitting here playing teacher. But many, many times, maybe most of the time, I'm sitting out there. I'm a student, and somebody else is sitting here, being teacher. So it's a role I adopt for, you know, an evening. But I let go of it quite easily. And I go home and pick up another role, perhaps. So what Ramdas says, It is to ourselves then that we must first look in our effort to see what limits the spontaneous expression of helping instincts. How does who we think we are affect what we have to give? How does this delusion of consciousness, which separates us from the rest, narrow the range of our compassion? What different understanding of our being might nourish and deepen what we have to offer one another? If we see ourselves as not separate, then how does that affect what we have to offer? He also talks about the importance of our recognizing or our being aware of our response to suffering, our own and other people's. The way in which we deal with our suffering has much to do with the way in which we are able to be of service to others. It is so valuable to explore how we react to the pain, suffering around us and how we react to our own. If we do not accept our own, if we're not aware of our own suffering and accepting of it, if we're in denial, perhaps, about our own suffering, then it's going to be more difficult for us to be aware of the suffering around us. Or we may be aware of it, but shy away from it, pull away from it, and in doing that, then not be willing to do what we can do. So being aware of our response, our reaction sometimes to suffering, and allowing ourselves to experience the pain of suffering. You know how often all of us say, oh I don't want to see that, that's too difficult. For me it's often about the treatment of animals. I get a lot of um, you know requests for donations from different animal rights groups. And sometimes it's very difficult to look at the pictures that have been sent, to read the way the animals have been treated. And often, I don't, actually. I will set it aside. And it might be many days, sometimes several weeks, before I'm able to pick that up and actually read it. And I tell myself, well, I don't need to. I know, you know, I'm already doing what I can, and I know how they suffer. (laughs) But I know also that that's a way of pushing away the pain of the suffering. And then it makes it easier not to do something that needs to be done. So, even though it's difficult, important to let in the suffering, let ourselves feel the pain of it, feel the grief of it, so that we will be able to meet it, and we will be able to do what is called for, or what can be done. When Diana Lyon was here, she talked about social action as being service. And Jack Cornfield, in his book *A Path with Heart*, doesn't actually—well, I think he, well, I'm not sure if he says social action—but I thought this was a lovely passage about social action as service. We can extend these same principles, the principles of Buddhist practice and service, from family life to the work of our community, to politics, to economics, to global peace work, or to to service to the poor. All of these spheres ask us to bring to them the qualities of a Buddha. Can we bring the Buddha into the voting booth where we live? Can we act as the Buddha, writing letters to our congressmen and congresswomen? Can we share in feeding the hungry? Can we walk like the Buddha to demonstrate for peace or justice or cure for our environment? The greatest gift we can bring to the challenges of these areas is our wisdom and greatness of heart. Without it, we perpetuate the problems. With it, we can begin to transform the world. So he's, he's really talking about what we call the two arms of Buddhist practice. That is, the compassion on the one hand and the wisdom on the other hand. That greatness of heart is the compassion, the open heart, the willingness to bear the pain and do what we can to alleviate the suffering. And the wisdom, the wisdom to know when to act and when not to act, when to speak and when to be quiet, when to wash the feet, so to speak, and when not to. and remembering that it will never be enough. But it is what we can do. And in that it is our service and it is service to the world. So I think I'll stop for a few minutes and see if you have things to add, comments, experiences That's probably a good point that often our intentions are mixed. We can have very, very deep intentions, um, very wise, skillful intentions and and perhaps very other oriented, and also have some self-serving interests. And I don't think that's a problem necessarily. I think awareness is important. But, of course, um, I think it's natural to want to benefit ourselves. And I don't think that's a problem. Again, as I was thinking about the different roles that I play in my life, and how can each one be done as an act of service? I, I listed things like, you know, I'm a grandmother, I'm a daughter, I'm a mother, um, I'm a dog companion, <laughs> um, I'm a teacher, I'm a therapist, I teach at Elmwood Jail, I work with a group called Healthcare for All. And what I came to see was in all of those, of course there's benefit for me. And hopefully there's benefit for the others as well. But it's not so it's not so separate. At any one time I might choose to do something that is for the other person um, that, you know, maybe I didn't feel like doing at that particular moment or wouldn't have otherwise chose. But for most of the time it's a very mutual thing and I get just as much reward from um, serving my grandson uh, as hopefully he does. uh, a year or so ago, I guess, when, when I first started teaching meditation at Elmwood, I spoke with Diana Ly- Lyon from uh, BPF. I said Diana Lyon before, and I meant Diana Winston. Now I mean Diana Lyon. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was talking to her about some suggestions, because she has done a lot of work with people in jails. And one of the things she said to me that really threw me at the moment was, she said, just remember, you're going to learn more than they are. And I thought, what? I'm not doing this for me to learn, you know. I'm going there for these women. But of course it stuck with me, you know, and I sort of held that question. And more recently, I have been able to laugh and say... You know, she was pretty close to right. I have learned so much, and I continue to learn so much from these women. I hope also they learn. It's a very mutual thing. But that was, that really brought me up short, you know. It pointed out how I was going to give to them. I was going to teach them what I thought they should learn. And it's ended up, they teach me, and I hope the experience is good for them also. I trust that it is. But it is really true that I get so much from it. So I, And I think most people that live lives of service will say that, that it's very beneficial what is put out comes back. It's not just a one-way street. And therefore it becomes, the lines become blurred. Who is serving who? What is the service? It becomes just service or just, maybe not even service, just being, just doing when I serve others, I serve myself. And when others serve me, they serve themselves. Other thoughts, comments, questions? He said that he heard the Dalai Lama say that monks were the most selfish people because they were constantly reaping the benefits of their practice and service. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's interesting since your intention has changed yeah. yeah. what you're doing may be the same but the intention yeah. behind it yeah. is what has yeah, changed like a phrase that I forgot to use from the Christian tradition do unto others as you would have them do unto you mm-hmm. I think again that's stated maybe differently but Throughout each wisdom tradition, there is always this idea of, of doing to others what we would want. Not in the sense of ignoring what someone else wants, but being willing, being willing to give to others the same as to ourselves. Someone pointed out one time, and I thought it was very valuable, that in that saying it says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Not more than, not less than, but as. So in service, it doesn't have to be a denying of ourselves or a negating of who we are or what our needs are. Not at all, actually. It's when we come from a fullness, I think, that we actually act in service. So it's not that that we deny ourselves or that we're less important from whomever we serve. But it's more that we just do. We see the need, and we do. And that ends up serving both of us. There are a couple of stories from Jack and Christine Feldman's book that seem relevant. Once two brothers went to visit an old man. It was not the old man's habit, however, to eat every day. When he saw the brothers, he welcomed them with joy and said, Fasting has its own reward. But if you eat for the sake of love, you satisfy two commandments. For you give up your own will and also fulfill the commandment to refresh others. And the second one, it was said about one brother that when he had woven baskets and put handles on them, he heard a monk next door saying, what shall I do? The trader is coming, but I don't have handles to put on my baskets. Then he took the handles off his own baskets and brought them to his neighbor saying, look, I have these left over. Why don't you put them on your baskets? And he made his brother's work complete as there was need, leaving his own unfinished. That ability to let go of his own need, finishing, perfecting his baskets so that someone else's could be finished. So he was serving the monk. Let's see if there's anything I forgot. Mm-hmm. Well, the concept of being a light unto oneself, uh, um, knowing that you know, one can only save oneself from the quicksand is the example. You know, sacrifice two people and you know, work well for your own life. And so, are you saying, um, telling that little white lie or...? <laughs> it also makes me think that what's right for one person may not be right for somebody else. So, if I thought as lying, then it probably wouldn't be right for me to say that, to do that. If I didn't, then it might be fine. Also I can imagine that, uh, well I know, I don't have to imagine, I know for me it's true, that sometimes something is right and at other times it's not. So I can imagine, you know, there would be days I would do the same thing, give somebody the handles, and there would be other days that that I wouldn't. And I can't always tell you exactly why. Mm-hmm. Um, it could depend, like you say, on so many factors. You hope to, you know, a deep listening and be able to determine what the other's need is in relationship to and also I was going to say, yes, right. Deep listening to our own as well. Mm -hmm. Um, A few years ago, I was down at Mount Madonna for a weekend with Reb Anderson, who was at that time, I think, co abbot of San Francisco Zen Center. And during the weekend, he talked a lot about just that very thing, about putting aside or letting go of what our needs, our preferences are for somebody else. And he talked about simple things, like with his wife, you know, wanting to go to uh, such and such, he's wanting to go to such and such a restaurant, and and she wants to go someplace else. And he says, oh, oh yes, of course, of course, yes, we'll go there. The is, does he really feel happy mm-hmm. if she... That's right. And otherwise if he's not happy because he gave up his <laughs> then it's not right. That's right. And you can imagine during that weekend there were many, many questions <laughs> about that and other examples he gave, you know. Um, and I think it really does come down to what is the intention and the mindfulness behind it. So it can be a great gift when we set aside our preference for someone else's happiness. But there are so many considerations and possibilities. If we do it uh, out of guilt, if we do it in anger, if we do it begrudgingly, um, then it's not it's not really clean, it's not really a gift, is it? If we do it because we really don't have the courage or don't even know what our preferences are. That's probably not service. That's probably not so helpful. Yeah, I can't think of a good example, but I think you're absolutely right, that very often we might start out doing something um, just because we have to. I don't know, what what comes to my mind is caring for an aged parent. Maybe because there's that possibility ahead of me (laughs) And I, d- I don't know how that's going to be, you know. I mean, right now, it seems daunting to me. I don't, I don't have a plan. I don't see how that's going to work. But I could imagine that I might begin with less than pure motives and that along the line discover that, um, that it's beautiful. But it's wonderful. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of service that is not doing it for somebody. In other words, not doing something that they could do themselves. That probably, in general, is not helpful. Um, but. Alleviating suffering or doing what we can where we can does not have to be doing something for somebody. I mean, does not have to be taking away there. That idea that you can make somebody happy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we might say, and that we're not responsible for anybody else's happiness. And we can do things that make them happy. We can contribute to their happiness. Or sense of well-being, or comfort, or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, the, the idea is that all beings become enlightened at the same time. And the bodhisattva is willing to delay his or her enlightenment, so that all can be enlightened at the same time. It is sort of like the ultimate (laughs) sacrifice, we might say, um, for the benefit of all beings. I think it's one of those things we have to take the spirit. <laughs> you know, it might. I don't know. Well, it's, act, it's actually said both ways, yeah. uh-huh. and of course, if they're enlightened, then they would leave. They get off the wheel. So, actually, it's um, you know delaying getting off the wheel of samsara until all beings are able to get off. Mm -hmm. Well, it's all service, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Maybe so. But we're getting also very near to nine o'clock, so (laughs) why don't we sit quietly for just a couple of minutes? Ah, after I read you one little ending. What is it that so touches us about a single caring act or a life surrendered into service? Perhaps we see our deepest yearnings reflected in others, and this encourages us to believe in our own purity and beauty. These are no longer just ideals to strive for. We can reach them. We can be that way. Images of compassion beckon and encourage us onward.